Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. All right, I just love that intro video music. I- Makes me want to dance. Anybody else you want to dance when you hear that? We should have a dance party one of these days. All right, y'all. Oh, don't tell. Well, that's actually one of the things we're going to talk about today is when I grew up, dancing was Satan itself. Mm, Where I grew up, when I grew up, the church I grew up in, dancing was Satan. So we're going to talk about some stuff about about. How, what, what, what's right, what's wrong, what's actually holy is what we're going to talk about today. We've been talking about words that uh, define the nature and character of God. But before we get all serious talking about today's word, I accidentally bought too many art supplies. So I'm having an excess stencil crisis. Excess stencil crisis. There you go. Excess. That's a tongue twister now. Get it existential. Anyway, whatever. All right. So where did the Egyptian go for his back pain? You can, add, you can blame Pastor Garrett for this one. Where did the Egyptian go for his back pain? The Cairo, chiropractor. I goof it up every time. It just doesn't work right if you say it wrong. I, I look at Cairo and, and I see Cairo syrup when I was a kid. So that's what came out. No, Cairo as in Cairo, the town in Egypt. Oh, boy. All right, those jokes, the only laughing matter is the person telling the joke, not the actual joke. Um, Words have power. We've been talking about words for... Actually, I did not intend on continuing the sermon series this long. I had another agenda that I wanted to go with. And earlier this week, God made overwhelmingly clear to me that I was supposed to preach this message today. And he made that overwhelmingly clear. Anytime I get the entire sermon outline in about 10 minutes and all of the main thoughts in 10 minutes, I knew that the Holy Spirit was, was dealing with me. And he told me what he wanted to say and what he wanted to tell you today. And, um, and you know what? I'm just going to be obedient. We're going to continue words. And I'm going to talk to you today about a word called holy. But before we get there, We talked about the word good, about how God's nature is good because God is good, right? And and remember, Jesus said, why do you call me good? None is good except God alone. You calling me God? Second of all, we talked about true, how Jesus is true, not versions of the truth, not 99% of the truth, but truth in its very nature is the nature of who Jesus Christ is. He is true, 100%. Then we talked about hope, how God is a God of hope and how our hope should be rooted in his power and his presence. Then last week we talked about how God is love and we define love not as the feelings that we all have in this world, but we define love as a commitment to the best of the one that is loved. And best doesn't mean what's good, what you think is good. It is what is best for you in God's sovereign sight of who you are. So uh, God is committed and loyal to the best of those he loves. And that is his very nature. 
And therefore, those who love God are committed and loyal to the best of those that they love. All right. And today we're going to talk about holy. So I went, I went to the, uh, uh, not the Bible, I went to um, uh, Google and asked for online dictionaries. And I searched several online dictionaries to find out what holy is in uh, our vernacular today, the words today. And holy in our vernacular means dedicated to or consecrated to God or a religious purpose or sacred. So let's be very clear here. If, if holy means dedicated or consecrated to God, then that means our definition is deficient because God is holy. And how can God be holy and consecrated to God? Did y'all get that little nuance there? The definition that we have of what holiness is, is deficient in its very core because it's assigning holiness to being dedicated to God when God by his very nature is holy. So that means that's not a proper definition. <laughs> that's like saying being good is saying the definition of good is that I'm dedicated to being good. <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. All right. So what I want to do today is I want to draw a biblical understanding since holy is a biblical theme. I would like to go from the scriptures and declare to you what holy means from the scriptures, not from our culture. Our culture has a problem with holy. You know how I know that? Because um, I, I, I actually had this illustration in my notes and I took it out and said, don't use it, but I'm going to use it anyway. Uh, I was listening to radio the other day. I flipped a cross country station and Florida Georgia line had a song on. You are holy, holy, holy. Anyway, whatever it was. It was talking about some girl. Holy girl. Now, I, I got a problem with this. Uh, listen, uh, Florida Georgia line, that's its own issue. Uh, especially some of, you really want to be disturbed. Just read the lyrics of some of the songs you sing and actually pay attention to them. <laughs> and, and this song, it's assigning to the girl godlike qualities and that he worships at her tabernacle. Now, hold on, hold on. I'm all for loving your wife, but I don't think this guy's talking about his wife. <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> what I have a problem is, is that they're using terms that are churchy sounding to make money from church people. And what, what we're doing here as a culture is we're embracing a watering down of what holy means. So there's no way, well, I mean, what, what is the definition of holy? The definition of holy is other, separate, distinct, unique. Other is probably the best definition or separate. In other words, you ready for this? This thing ain't like that thing. This is different than this. This is separate, above, lofty, unique, elevated over this. Now, anyway, <clears throat> back to Florida and Georgia line, maybe they do have something to say though. A woman is different than a man. And if not, you need to marry one and you will find out that they are different. 
All right? So that's part of the reason I pulled the illustration out, but I put it back in because I just thought I'd let you know I, I do pay attention to our culture, and our culture is incredibly messed up. Not just that culture, this culture. Church culture's messed up because we've abandoned, we've been so influenced by our culture, like we're like fish swimming in water. We don't even realize the culture we're swimming in is like the water we live in and that what God wants to do is he wants to pull you into a different culture because you're not a fish. He wants to pull you into God's culture where you breathe air and you're trying to live like a fish in a water that's actually killing you. You're not a fish. So, all right, y'all follow me? So in honor of God's word, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet. We're gonna read from Revelation 4, 8. Revelation, this is the end of the book. And it says this. Can y'all, I tell you what, this is so difficult. I think, I think you can probably help me out. I think we could actually read all this together. Would that be all right if y'all read it with me? This is a verse you might actually be able to memorize this before the day is over. Wouldn't it be really cool if you could leave church having memorized the scripture? Here we go. Y'all ready? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. One more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and is to come. Think about that. Who was, who is, and is to come. No, in, no beginning and no ending, yet he is here. Father, I pray that today you would help us to grab the truth out of this message. I pray that my heart would be able to be open to the spirit to speak appropriately to this body what holiness truly means. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you turn and smile at somebody and give them a big smile today and tell them you're so happy to see them. I'm so glad you guys are here. If you're joining online, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome. Welcome. All right. So holy means other. It means separate. It means it's different. All right. So let me give you the best definition I know of holy to begin. All right. Now my daughter makes chocolate chip cookies for me. And we can just praise Jesus right now for chocolate chip cookies. She makes the best chocolate chip cookies in the world, the best. So they're good. But, but my daughter knows that I do not like chocolate chip cookies that are baked. Something happens to them and it just robs all the flavor and texture from them. I like my chocolate chip cookies raw. Ah, uh, yeah, the dough, man, that's where it is, the dough. And not a lot of those yucky chips, milk chocolate, no, no. I, I like, my, uh, I like my, my white chocolate, I like my chocolate. I, I like a little bit of both, but I don't like too much of either. Y'all know what I'm saying? I love the dough, the dough is where it's at. And I love the dough. And so I'll come home and if I smell chocolate chip cookies being baked, I know, I know, without a shadow of a doubt, I go to the fridge. And I open up the fridge and there's a little plate there. And on that plate is dad's share of chocolate chip cookies in dough form, covered up with nice, nice, what do you call it? Saran wrap or whatever it is. All right, y'all got it? So she knows that she takes a part of the batch and makes it other for me, separate for me. And if you eat my chocolate chip cookie dough, we will go to war. There will be blood because there are a few things in this world I will fight for. The honor of my wife and my chocolate chip cookie dough. Those are two. Are y'all with me? 
I, so the simple fact I walk through the door, chocolate chip cookies are being made. I know that there is a separate, dedicated, holy portion, holy unto, unto me. All right, you got that? So what makes it holy is not that it's dedicated unto me. What makes it holy is that it is separate, that it's other, that this is special. It's not like the rest that's going to be ruined by baking. All right. Now, that being said, what we need to talk about today is that God is holy. He is separate. He is other. He is not ruined by our world. So God, this is the predominant adjective used to describe God in the Bible. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, y'all ready for this? The Holy Spirit's first name is holy. So holy is the word used to describe God the most of any adjective in the, in the Bible. Uh, Psalm 99 verse 9, exalt the Lord our God in worship for the Lord our God is holy. Now, where does this come from? All right, so we need to know that it all comes back. We'll, we'll talk about in a minute how it started all the way at the beginning of creation. But it really, really, this holiness theme sort of developed when a guy named Moses you remember, he was called to deliver Egypt. He tried it on his own. He got ran out of Egypt. Now he's hanging out in the wilderness for years. I mean, Charlton Heston is walking one day and he sees a burning bush. Yeah, and, and when Moses looks and he's, you know, Charlton Heston played Moses in that old movie, y'all. All right. Some of you are like, what's he talking about? <laughs> All right, so yeah, yeah, it's an old movie. Trust me, it's really, really old. That's how I know about it. Anyway, um, so uh, there's this burning bush and Moses looks at the bush. The bush is not being consumed, but it's on fire. And the bush is burning, but it's not consumed. So he's like, what's going on with this? And he walks over to the bush. And when he walks over, God speaks to him from that vicinity. And he says, do not come any closer. God said, take off your sandals for the place you are standing is holy ground. Now this ground all of a sudden got dedicated, different, it's separate and only to God. Now how I know this is because he asked Moses to do something very impractical and, and wrong if you live in the desert. Because if you live in the desert and you take your sandals off your feet, you will soon, the briars, the brambles, the rocks, and the heat of the ground will soon destroy your feet, correct? So what God asked him to do is when you're entering into my present, you're going to act differently in my presence because my ground is different than your ground. All right, you got that? So when, when Moses begins to interact with God starting here and later on through the process of the giving of the law, he is impacted by the fact that God's space and place is different than every other space and place. That God interacting with God means you have to be different and that it is holy, it is separate. It's different than everything else in our world. All right, so the ultimate revelation of God to the Israelites come in Isaiah chapter six, verse one through five. And it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him were seraphim. These are some kind of angelic beings. And with, they had six wings. This is interesting. With two wings, they covered their faces because they couldn't see the glory of God. Because God, God's glory was too powerful for them. And with two, they covered their feet all the way back to how you walk through this life will be different, all the way back to the burning bush. And with two, they flew in the air. 
and they were calling to one another. They were calling back and forth, unable to walk in God's presence, unable to see in God's presence. They were calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Now, Isaiah is there as sort of a passive observer and he's seeing all this. And when he sees it, he says, woe to me. I am ruined. I am undone for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. He's saying, I don't belong here. Did you get that? I'm in trouble because I'm where I shouldn't be because God is different and he is separate and he is above and more powerful and more incredible than I imagine. And when I show up, I don't belong because he's different and I don't belong. It's holy. Are, are you getting the separateness? Because without an understanding of this level of separateness, you will never understand that God isn't like you. Most of us, when we talk to God, we're usually complaining at him that he's not doing what we asked him to do or we're, we're bad-mouthing him that he doesn't come through on whatever we said he should have done or, or we're like praying like he is some, you know, marionette to be uh, controlled by our prayers or we're trying to control God and all the while God is wholly elevated, separate and amazingly above all you can ask or think. He is above it all separate and we get to live down here. We don't control him we if you encounter him you're overpowered by him simply by his presence this is key to understanding because this designation separates God from any other deity in the world in Isaiah 54 verse 5 the Lord Almighty is named the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer he is called the God of all the earth so God is holy, separate, even above all other religious powers and deities that may be named or mentioned. Now, I was watching a video because I, I did, believe it or not, even though God gave me the outline of the message, you've got to do work. And one of the things I did is I watched this video by um, uh, the Bible Project. It was a really, really good video. And you can watch it, look it up and, and watch it. It was pretty good. Talked about God's holiness. It didn't really say the things that, that God was speaking to me to speak to you, but it was very good. And it gave an analogy. And the analogy has some good and some bad, but I thought I would share it anyway. When talking about God's holiness, they said um, the world is our world. And like the sun is different than our world. The sun is uh, it, in our solar system, the sun is completely different than everything else in our solar system because it in essence is different. It's separate. It's different. And the closer you move into the proximity of the sun, the more you will be consumed because the heat will consume you. So there's a certain thing about that separateness and uniqueness of the sun that we should fear. But yet there is something about it that is life-giving and attractional, which I thought was a good illustration. So I encourage you to watch anything you watch by the Bible project. I'm going to tell you it's worth your time. All right, so second thing, since we have defined God as holy, then we wanted to find that in the Old Testament, ritual and cultural holiness and separateness was what, what was happening. So the story of the Old Testament is this. And by Old Testament, I mean from Genesis to Malachi. And that's a, all of the stories that were written by the people of Israel for the people of Israel. You need to understand this. The Old Testament, that, that part of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi was not concerned with you or I. 
unless you were Jewish because it was concerned only for the people of Israel. And that will help you understand the reason the Old Testament was written and some of the uniquenesses of it we're gonna talk about here. Because you see, the Old Testament was concerned with a people that Abraham was their father. Abraham was the father of all uh, the, the Israelite people because he was the man of faith and he believed in God in faith. And then it goes through Moses and the giving of the law and all of these laws and rules are put in place so that the people and the family of Israel would be ritually and culturally separate from all other nations. Are you following me here? They're supposed to be different because they are God's people and God was looking for a platform from which to launch Jesus to all the rest of the world. And that platform had to be established because if Jesus just shows up one day and says, I'm the savior of the world, there's no background to grab what that means and, and where, what, it, what God wants to accomplish through it. There was nothing of that. But instead, there are literally thousands of prophecies about Jesus in those Genesis to Malachi that talks about who Jesus was to be and the revelation of God to our world and those prophecies were fulfilled, which gives it credence. But, but that's why God wanted a separate people. And by the way, that's the reason Jewish people have been persecuted so much throughout the history of the world is because they move into a community, they keep their ritual and cultural separateness and they don't eat. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. They eat differently, they act differently, they worship differently, they live differently and that's part of the reason for the persecution. All right, hopefully that'll help you understand. So what I wanted to give you this is most of the rules and laws, most of the rules and laws in the Old Testament were given to this people to make them separate from the rest of humanity, to be distinct in culture and identity. So if you've ever read the Bible, anybody like me, you've ever read the Bible and there are parts of the Old Testament, you're like, I just don't get it. Yeah, I just don't get it. I have problems with the Bible, not because I don't read it. I have problems with the Bible because I do. <laughs> All right. The Old Testament, there are things I don't understand. And this is a filter that will help you understand when you read those things, especially if you're reading Leviticus and find out that you're not allowed to have sex with animals. Really? We have to write that. We have to write that law? Really? I, I'm, I'm just saying. Why does that, uh, anyway, no, different sermon, different day. So what is the purpose of these Old Testament laws and rules? Well, the purpose is to create a people who are holy or separate from everybody else like God is separate from us. And this is how he says to do it. Some scriptures to help us understand holy as it related to the Israelites. First of all, Sabbath. So when God creates the world, what he does, God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. Remember six days God worked, six days God made creation, six days. This is a Levitical thing. It's a, it's a priesthood poem written so that we will understand the rhythm of the seven days, six of work and one of worship, one of worship and rest. Now, I mean, think about what, what's being taught here is, come on, most of us, our seventh day looks very different than our other days. I mean, we show up for church one hour a week, about twice a month and say that we are God's people, but yet there's a, a rest and a Sabbath missing from our world. There's nothing different about this day than all the other days. Well, the Jews, they made this very, very, very strict. They're saying that God rested on the seventh day. We've got to make the seventh day very strict. And they made it so strict 
Eric, that by the time Jesus shows up, they're like, you can't carry a load more than so far. You can't walk more than so many paces. You can't even heal somebody on the Sabbath because that's wrong. And they had made this rule to make them holy. They had taken it to extremes and become out of control. Right? They're Sabbath. Another one is diet. So a diet is Exodus 22, 3, uh, 31 says, you are my holy people, so do not eat. And there are a lot of things that we're not, you're not supposed to eat if you obey Jewish kosher laws. As a matter of fact, that makes them really weird because a lot of things that everybody else ate around them, they wouldn't be able to eat. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of fights in the, in the New Testament about what we're allowed to eat and what we're not allowed to eat. And Jesus declared all foods clean, but yet some people were still trying to obey these kosher laws. And there are all kinds of tension around what you can and can't eat. And I'm going to tell you that, that, that if, if God tells you not to eat bacon, that makes you totally separate than the rest of the sane world. I don't care about high blood pressure. I like my bacon, right? Yeah, somebody in the house say amen. So, and, and this got so weird. I mean, there's a verse, Deuteronomy 14, 21, that says, you are a people holy to, holy to the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Now, that's a little weird, but that was a practice of one of the other countries around them as they worshiped, and, and this was a rule to keep them from doing that. But it, well, how this turns out, all right? So I was, I was in the mall one day, and I, was, I had my Hebrew note cards, and I was memorizing Hebrew words uh, for a Hebrew test I was going to take at seminary. So um, I took it as an adult. I didn't take it right out of college. Uh, seminary for me was a, a decade-long process, and it was great. And so anyway, I've got my note cards, and I'm memorizing these verses because I'm learning Hebrew, and I'm sitting in the mall while my wife's spending my money. And... Um, <laughs> And some dude was there at one of those, those shops and he looks down and says, what's that you're reading? I said, it's Hebrew. And he said, oh yeah, I, I read it. And I, I said, so you're Hebrew? And he said, yeah, I, I'm, I'm an Israelite, I'm, I'm Jewish. And I said, cool, you wanna talk and help me out? So we sat down and we talked and, and as we're talking, I asked him what it meant to be a good, you know, what does it mean to be a Jewish person? And he said, well, my mom told me, he, he said he's not a practicing Jew, he doesn't really even believe in God, but but his mom told him, keep the Sabbath and don't eat cheeseburgers. <laughs> Based upon this verse, don't eat a cheeseburger. Now, I'm going to tell you that that comes across a little different, right? If your mom tells you not to eat a cheeseburger, there's something wrong, right? Uh, anyway, uh, my point is, is that even today, the Jewish people, the way they live and act and eat is different, right? And one other thing, it was worship. They were, they were to be different in worship. Other people worshiped any way they wanted to, wherever they wanted to. No, Jewish people were only allowed to worship at the temple. And, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There was this exterior temple, and then there was a holy place. And the exterior part was where people would come and worship, and the sacrifices were made. And then there was this holy place, and in this holy place, you were, uh, the priest was allowed to go in there and burn incense. And, and then there, behind that, there was a most holy place, where the Ark of the Covenant was and the most holy place, there was a big curtain in between the two. There was a curtain, says the text, uh, a text and, and that this curtain separated the most holy place where God's presence hung out from even the holy place where the, only the priest can enter, but definitely separate from the average person praying and offering sacrifice outside. So what's being said here is that God's presence is isolated, separate. It's away from you. It's something you can't and you only, they only entered once a year to offer sacrifices once a year 
on the mercy. Now, now me, my OCD kicks in and I ask the question, when they walked in, did they like have to take a feather duster or something? Because that place after a year had to be pretty dusty, right? I don't know. Hire a cleaning company to come in before we offer our sacrifice this year. <laughs> you don't read the Bible like me? No? All right. So the whole point is there is a separate most holy place in, in worship and sacrifice and all those things were to be different. So when it came to worship in the book of Leviticus, which is filled with hundreds of laws and rules and rules and laws about everything you can imagine, there are rules and all these rules are there for this purpose. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy or be different because you represent God who is different. Be holy because the Lord your God is holy. So if you were gonna come into God's presence as a cultural phenomenon, as an Israelite, you had to be different than everybody else in the world and you had to obey those rules. All right, so a way to illustrate this is um, when I was a teenager, I worked out in the fields a lot, uh, I hauled hay. It was a way for a teenage boy to make money in the summer and that's, did a lot of it. So uh, what, what we do is we go out, we'd pick up the hay bales, throw them on the truck, take the truck to the barn, unload the hay bales into the barn. And I don't know if you've ever worked when it's 105 degrees out and the sun's beating down on you and you're picking up hay bales that are 40 and 50 pounds and throwing them up onto the truck. But when you're doing all that, you get hot, you get sweaty, you get covered with hay. And then you go back to the barn and the barn of course is enclosed. And in the barn, all the heat from those hay bales and all the cooking of the tin roof, it's 140 degrees in there. There's no wind flowing and you're throwing hay bales. So there's dust in the air. Are y'all following me here? This is nasty, nasty. You come home, you just caked with mud and dirt from the sweat and the mud and the smell. And one day I had come in from the fields. We had hauled a bunch of hay that day. And I remember walking through the door and we drove home and, and got to the door and opened up. And I could smell dinner. I'm like, Oh, let's eat. Come on. I've been working all day long. I'm 16 years old. I am, I am a bottomless pit, right? And I go, let's eat. And I run in and I go to sit down at the table and mom says, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh you ain't coming to my table like that, right? She wanted me to separate myself from the filth I had been in before I could participate at her table. And what God was calling the Old Testament Israelites to do is to separate themselves from the world, from everyone else to be different than anyone else so that that difference would allow you to maybe come into the presence of the God who is different. All right. Now, third, third uh, revelation or perspective we're going to take is the third perspective is a New Testament perspective. From the New Testament, we're talking about not external holiness, but internalized holiness internalized holiness. So when Jesus came onto the scene, he changed what holy meant. You see in the old Testament, if you went, if you were an Israelite and you went out and you touched something unholy or unclean, you would be made unclean or unholy. Sort of like my glasses. Anybody else in the room with glasses wear? Yeah. My wife for kids, sometimes they love to come up to me and give me a hug and rub their noses. They're filthy, grimy, slimy, zit filled noses across my glasses. What do they do when they rub their zit filled noses across my glasses? Do they make my glasses clean? No, they make my glasses unclean and they love to do it to bug me, right? 
Anybody got a dog? Loves to do that? If you don't wear glasses, thank God you don't get this illustration. All right? Now, seriously. So what happens is the nose doesn't make the glasses clean. The nose makes the glasses unclean. So you have to re-clean the glasses to be able to see. Well, the Old Testament, that's the approach to holiness. If something happens to you and you get unclean, you have to be cleansed before you can get back to being able to see in God's presence. But in the New Testament, Jesus makes a shift. You see, he does this because Jesus, everywhere he went, when an unclean leper touched him, Jesus didn't become unclean, but the unclean leper became clean. Everywhere Jesus went and somebody who was unclean and wasn't able because they had broken limbs and body, those people, when they touched Jesus, became clean. When the woman with the issue of blood, which made her unclean, touched Jesus, she was made clean. So Jesus was the purifier everywhere he went. All right, that's necessary for us to notice. So in Matthew chapter five, verse 21, Jesus talks, he says, you have heard it was said from people long ago, you shall not murder. Yeah, I believe it was said, uh, wasn't it Moses that said that in the big 10 commandments? You shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But Jesus said, I tell you that when you're angry with someone, you've committed murder in your heart. Oh my goodness. So I'm driving down the road, somebody cuts me off and I flip them off, not so they can see it down below. (laughs) You've done it, that's why you're laughing. You see the simple fact, according to what Jesus said, now you're guilty of murder because you don't want what's best for them. You want to hurt them. So in the, in the Old Testament law, it may have been good enough not to kill them, but now you're not even supposed to want to hurt them. But that's just not that. What Jesus talked about sex. Jesus talked about sex. I always get in trouble when I talk about sex. People are like, why do you talk about that in the church? Because Jesus did. (laughs) Matthew 5, 27. You have heard it was said, do not commit adultery. That's a pretty good idea, right? That's one of the 10 commandments, right? Do not, thou shalt not commit adultery. Old Testament covenant law, Israelites are not to be people who commit adultery. But Jesus says, but I tell you that anyone that looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Every guy in the place, all of a sudden, you're all guilty. You may not physically do the deed, but in your heart, you have lusted. So what Jesus is doing is he's taking holiness and he's moving it out of this cultural separation and physical identity that can be witnessed by the exterior world. And he's turning it into something of an attitude of the heart only. So there was a story of this guy I read recently in this book. It was about a guy that was in the ICU and his eyes were yellow. He was on life support. They were dialysis and all the things. I mean, he was, his kidneys were failing. His liver was failing. Everything was failing. And, and uh, when they got him, they spent thousands and thousands of dollars nursing him back to some kind of health. And when they brought him out, they, they took him while he, as soon as he got out of ICU, they took him to the psychiatrist and they took him to the psychiatrist who, um, the psychiatrist said, uh, so do you know why? Do you know why you're here? And he said, well, because I like to drink. 
And he said, but you understand drinking's killing you. And he says, yes. And he said, all right, so we would like to start a program to help you stop drinking. And he said, no, I don't want to stop drinking. He's like, what? You know, it's killing you. Yes, but I like to drink. I like to drink even though it's killing me. I still like it. I don't understand why a person would do that. But yet you and I do it too, right? Don't you do it? You know that those thoughts you're thinking in your heart are deadly, but yet you continue to think them. You know that the lust is there and that the lust is going to destroy your marriage, but yet you continue to look. You know that the way you're spending and handling money is going to lead you to poverty and bankruptcy and fights and maybe even divorce, but yet you continue to abuse money. Why do you do these things? Because the problem is not your exterior shell. The problem is in your heart. All right. So the evangelical Pentecostal church of which we are has often identified holiness by not committing sins. It looks like this. When I was a kid growing up, I, I joined an Assembly of God church about eight, 17, 18 years of age. I joined a local Assembly of God church in my hometown. In that local Assembly of God church, they made me sign a card for membership. And that card said that I won't drink alcohol. I won't smoke cigarettes. I won't go to movies. I won't dance. And they had this whole list of prohibitions of things you're not allowed to do. And that was supposed to make you holy. And that is honestly, that fear-filled way of don't, 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 don't is the way Christianity has approached holiness. Now, I was talking to a guy the other day, and what, I guess what sort of sparked this in me is this guy was saying that we need to go back and fulfill all of the Jewish laws we just talked about. That to be a good, godly Christian, you have to do all the things that are in the law, and we need to obey kosher. And, we, and I'm like, dude, have you never read the New Testament? Jesus Christ is the end, the completion, the telos, the no more of the law. It is ended. Jesus said, I did not come to, to give you a, a way to obey the law. I came to fulfill the law and to bring it to conclusion. And, and in uh, Acts chapter 15, the, they had this big meeting and they said, hey, you people don't need to obey all those laws. These are the ones you need to obey, the ones that will get you along with your brother and will cause you to live pure before God. You don't need the law. You, you do not need the law. Those Old Testament cultural laws, they do not apply to you. Some of you are saying, I don't believe that. Well, just read the New Testament. Read the book of Galatians, I dare you. Yeah, and, and there are others of you saying, well, if we unhook, you know, if we, don't, if we don't obey all those laws, then we're all gonna be sinners. Well, haven't we already established that we're all sinners already? And it doesn't do anything. All of your rules don't stop you from sinning. What we need is not an exterior change. What we need is an interior change. And that's why Jesus showed up on this earth. Colossians chapter one, verse 22 says, but now he has reconciled you to God by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. So your holiness no longer is by your exterior actions. It comes because you are renewed on the inside. This was prophesied by Jeremiah. He said in the last days, God will put his spirit in you and write his laws on your heart. So all of us will obey the laws of God. In, in Romans chapter eight, verse one, 
through four, it says the righteous requirements of the law are fully met in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but follow the spirit because God wants to give you the inside of you renewed to be holy to God, not because you're obeying a bunch of rules, but because from your very depths, you are following God with all that is within you and you're separated and sanctified to God and fully set apart to him. Hebrews 10, 10, in case you didn't believe the first verse. We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once, how many times? For how many? All, all people, all places, all times. Jesus' sacrifice is enough to dedicate you separately, fully to God all the time. This is good news because you cannot obey all 613 commands. If I give you a mere 10, the 10 commands, you're going to break most of them before today is over. Right? And if it depends on your righteousness, you are a failure. You will never be holy. But in the New Testament, Christ has made us holy. So we get to out of us poor holiness instead of what is holy again? We're separate. My heart is separate from my sins. My heart is dedicated to God and God alone. My spirit, me inside, I am completely dedicated to God. And that's what holy means. So what we've done in the church for years is we've, well, we're like a guy that went to the doctor. <laughs> oh, doctor, I've got horrible chest pains and I have trouble breathing and I cough and man, my chest hurts. And the doctor says, hmm, okay. Well, here's some pain medication and here's an inhaler to help you breathe a little better. And here's some cough medicine whenever you cough. Bye, see ya. How many of you would be happy with a doctor like that? Because the doctor didn't ask a very simple question. All he did was treated symptoms. He didn't ask why are the symptoms there? What if the symptoms were pneumonia? What if it was a heart condition? What if the symptoms were worse than that cancer? Would you want your doctor to pay attention to the root symptoms or, or the cause of the symptoms or only the symptoms? Yet you and I, we live a Christian life where all we do is spend all of our time giving lip service to our symptoms and never changing our hearts. And what God wants to do is he wants to do a deep work down inside of you in your heart so that your heart is turned to him and then you will be completely committed to him on the inside and that will change then how you live on the outside. <laughs> Jesus wants to make your heart and soul holy. He wants to renew you. You know why some of you don't like God very much? The reason some of you don't like God very much is because you think God is angry at you for breaking all of his rules and you think he's ready just to rah on you at any moment, smack you down. And you're, you don't like God. By the way, that's, that, I can't blame you. I don't like that God either. As a matter of fact, that's a God of the cultural separate Jewish nation. That is not the God, Jesus Christ, who renewed you and gave you life. So maybe what you need, maybe, is to change your view of God. 
and understand holiness is I am fully dedicated to God, fully, heart, mind, soul, and spirit dedicated to God. So what do we do when we do this? Well, there are three reactions. There, there, there are three takeaways. Number one, if you can put up 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says that, um, but you are a chosen people. You. If you believed in Jesus, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are, a, you are God's special possession. You are his possession. You're special. You're separate. You're his cookie dough. You are God's special possession that you would declare the praises of him. So what happens is we then declare God's praises and his glories of the one who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, once you were not those Israelites separated for God, but now you are a people, the very people of God, because you have let Jesus do the work in your heart. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we live three things in this new understanding of holiness. Number one, we live to worship Jesus in spirit and in truth, in worship. And the second thing is we are a reminder that you are the people of God and that your life is to be so weird, dedicated to God that people would look at your life and number three, get an invitation to follow Jesus and join you in worshiping him alone. So here's how we're gonna end. Y'all ready? The first response to the holiness of God is to worship and to celebrate him. So I'm gonna invite you to do this. Why do we sing songs of worship? The reason we sing songs of worship is because words of music are words that are more eloquently written than most of our prayers and thoughts. And it's a way for you to elevate God in a way that is a pre-thought out way of worshiping God. So we sing a song because there's a pre-thought out theology that you and I can participate when we sing. And believe it or not, we're, we're pretty diligent, aren't we, Pastor Garrett, about making sure these things are the right way? So we wanna invite you into worship today to worship God in spirit and in truth. And if you're sitting there saying, I don't belong, I don't, I'm not one of those people, why don't you do this? Why don't you at some point lift your hands and surrender and say, holy, holy, holy God, I believe you are separate, would you receive me? And if you do that, Jesus himself will change your heart. Could we sing this song together? Let's do it.